first reading is from Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. So again, welcome to Christchurch Vienna's Easter service. We're outside um, doing things differently this year. Uh, just for those who maybe are newer to our church, some of you maybe this is the first time you've been in a worship service in person for Christchurch Vienna, where you're still watching online. I'm Johnny Corsina, the lead pastor here, and I'm so glad to be celebrating in person with you. Normally during our preaching time, I'll, I'll teach for 25, 30 plus minutes. Today we're just gonna make it a little simpler um, and I'm gonna basically have us think about two things. One is what do we do with the resurrection? And secondly, what does the resurrection want to do with us? 
So I, I was reading an article this week um, in the New York Times by Anglican minister and Wheaton professor Esau Macaulay. And Esau Macaulay identified two uh, prevailing views on Easter in people who celebrate Easter. The first view is linked closely, he said, to the arrival of spring and the possibility of new beginnings. The second view deals with the disturbing prospect that God actually is among us. And he goes on to argue that the second view sounds a lot more like the first Easter ever did. The prevailing sentiment on the very first Easter 2,000 years ago, according to all of the eyewitnesses, was not optimism or celebration. There was nothing to do with the fun of dressing up in egg hunts. The prevailing sentiment on the very first Easter was fear. Everyone was afraid. The angels said to the women at the tomb, do not be afraid. Jesus said to those same women, do not be afraid. So why did he say to them, do not be afraid? Because they were afraid. Fear was the primary response. The women, it says, fled, ran from the tomb in fear and great joy. Now, we get the great joy part of it, I think. We get the great joy, it makes sense because they realized Jesus was not dead. And Jesus wasn't just somebody, he was their good friend. He was their rabbi, their master, their, their, their teacher. And he was their Messiah, the one in whom they put their whole life's trust. And he was miraculously alive. And you can imagine the joy circling in their head, thinking, can this really be true? The tomb is empty. Can it really be true? And then finding out, yes, he is alive. And the absolute joy they would have felt. But why fear? What about the empty tomb created such a universal response of fear? And the constant refrain of the angels and Jesus of do not be afraid. I think if we go back again to what Macaulay was talking about is, is Easter, in the first view, the celebration of possibility? And in that sense, is the Jesus and Easter story just that, a story? A story of inspiration, reminding us that as spring comes after the winter, you too can overcome adversity. Or is it the second view? What's essentially a frightening prospect? The jarring conviction that those first followers of Jesus realized that he is risen, and this has profound implications on our lives. To those first believers, that Jesus alive was an unsettling thing. It was an unsettling presence on one level because it definitely declared him to be Lord and Savior, but also demanded their allegiance and ongoing relationship. The unsettling presence of Jesus alive declares him to be Lord and Savior, demands our allegiance, and calls us to live in a power and boldness that means we are no longer in control. So if a Christian faith, if the Christian faith is just doing religious things, trying to be a better person, if that's all it is, then I'm still in control. I can choose to do those religious things, choose to show up at a church service, try to be a better person, that's pretty much good enough. If the Christian faith is just doing religious things and trying to be better, then I remain in control. But if God Almighty actually entered creation, if he died for my sins, 
rose from the grave and intends to do the same in me and through the very creation itself, then I'm very much not in control. And that is obviously terrifying. In the final scene of the whole Bible, from Revelation 21 that we just read, we get a vision of the new creation. It's not us going up to heaven for eternity, it's heaven coming down to earth for eternity and infusing and renewing creation with God's fullness and God's life and issuing forth new and forever life with no more weeping, no more suffering, no more evil, no more death. And the dwelling place of God is forever with man. But if you read through what's written in there, you will notice the very last verse that we have in our little passage is, Behold, I am making all things new. The Lord says, Behold, I am making all things new. And when he says that, he's saying it in the present and ongoing tense. Not, Behold, I will make all things new, but Behold, I am already in the process of making things new. It's a continuous tense. In other words, the new creation, heaven, eternity is already unfolding because of Jesus. Behold, I am making already, I am already making all things new is an invitation and a calling to us. It is an invitation to experience the reality of God's new creation in our life even today. You know, when we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. God Almighty already dwells in you if your faith is in Christ. It's not something to await one day. He already takes up residence in you. And he is renewing and empowering you as he will do throughout all of creation one day. Which means already you are fully loved. Already you are fully forgiven. Already you are fully a child of God. You can know him, experience him, talk to him now. It's not something just to wait for. It is already unfolding and available. The joy and peace of eternity that transcends all circumstances is offered to us. And the invitation is to enter those joys through faith in Christ, through faith in Jesus, even today. God making all things new already because of the resurrection is an invitation and it's also a calling. The reality of the resurrection and God already renewing all things is a calling. We aren't just to wait around until God makes all things new. Rather, he calls us to experience and participate in the resurrection life and the renewal of creation now. So think about it. If you go to think about the end of all things, the end goal of all things, you can read this in Revelation 21, 22. If the end of all things is the defeat of Satan and sin and evil and suffering. And you look around the world and you see sickness and poverty and addiction and violence and darkness and abuse and war then you are called through the power of the resurrection into the battle. If the end goal is the removal of all suffering, sin, and evil, then you are called already into the fight. To the righting of wrongs, to wiping away of tears, 
You're pushing back darkness in every place that God calls you already. If the resurrection of Jesus is just a metaphor, as some people suppose, it's a metaphor for hopefulness, kind of like the phoenix rising out of the ashes, just some legend. If, if the resurrection is just religious spin on if, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade, that sort of optimism, then maybe, maybe Easter will inspire you. The Easter story will inspire you to have a better attitude when you're suffering, but my guess is it really won't do much. But if Jesus rose bodily from the dead, then all the suffering and loss you've experienced and will experience, and the evil and brokenness you see in this world is going to be righted and redeemed. If Jesus rose from the dead bodily, then there is real hope. And it's real hope that matters. And it means that your life and your bodily life matters. Because God intends to give life, resurrection life, to the deepest and darkest pains and losses you've experienced. He intends to heal and raise you. To make even the deepest scars of your life emblems of your greatest glory one day as the holes in Jesus' hands remain in his resurrection body. A little bit of inspiration is not enough to keep you fighting against the poverty and oppression in this world. The work is actually just too hard if you step into it. A little bit of inspiration is not enough to face chemo or the loss of a child. An inspiring metaphor will not enable you to contend against evil and Satan. But the real Jesus will. The real Jesus was abandoned by friends, falsely tried, publicly tortured and lynched, and he experienced the worst of Satan and evil men and was forsaken by God. And yet he was the first fruits, the appetizer, the foreshadowing, the the engagement ring on what is to come of the resurrection to eternal life that is in our future. The real Jesus and the real Easter is more than inspiration. The reality of Easter is a demand for our allegiance, an invitation to a relationship with the God who is alive. It is an offer to experience the resurrection life today and it is a calling to contend against evil and to work for the renewal of creation already. And in all of that sense, the reality of Easter is terrifying. It means I'm not in control and there's something to be demanded of me. But it also means the reality of Easter is a great and hopeful joy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we celebrate today the resurrection of you from the dead. The confirmation that you stand in victory and sin has lost its grip on us. Enable us to walk into the power of that resurrection. To be set free from guilt and fear and to live in the power of Christ. And to know that no matter what happens to us in this world, no power of hell, no scheme of man, can ever take us from your hand until you return or call us home. And we can stand in the power of Christ today. Amen.